0: Um, Nicole McFarland, are you with us? Uh, Nicole, again, I, I just looked right past you. Ladies and gentlemen, Nicole McFarland, our missions ministry coordinator here at Restoration. She'll be available to help with this um, giving project that we have. Is Bruce in here or is he still out with the, uh, um, the sign-up area? Bruce, are, okay, he, he's outside. Um, Bruce Boring is with Wycliffe Bible Translators. And we have the great honor today to participate. We had announced that this was coming um, to give, to see the book of Romans translated. And you can sign up out under the portico and there you can have, you can pay for particular verses to be translated. And it's $35 a verse. Um, we're sponsoring translating the book of Romans, predominantly Hindu group, people group in India, translating it into four similar language, languages that will impact over four million people. And thankfully, an anonymous donor today will match what we give. Um, and you can visit, there's Bruce. Would you just wave your hand, Bruce? Let's give Bruce Boring from Wycliffe Bible Translators a good welcome. So after the service today, please stop by. There are tablets spread out and um, you can sign up right there to have your favorite bible verse if it hadn't already been taken your favorite one in romans translated all right um i want i want to pray for us i'm excited about i know that shocks you but i'm excited about what i'm going to preach today i really pray that the lord would anoint this service and anoint me anoint us to receive the word so father your word is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword and, and it, it comes alive in us when we are open to it. May we be the, the soil that was the good soil, not the rocky soil, not the soil that had the cares of the life and weeds that grow up and choke it out. I pray in the name of Jesus for the anointing that comes and makes preaching like glorious and heavenly with eternal impact. Right now, Holy Spirit, We just welcome you. We welcome you to anoint our preacher, the one who would deliver. And may there be such an anointing. It would be obvious to all. That's not Pastor Chuck speaking. That's God speaking. And I pray, Lord, that your word would do what it says in Hebrews 4.12. Divide soul and spirit. Get down in those places that nobody else can talk to us. Nobody else can help us in those areas for whatever reason. We're defensive, we're too wounded, too broken. We pray, Lord, anoint, 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 and we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Would you just hold your hand out and just say, I welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come on, just anoint me to hear. Come on, you need to be as anointed to hear it as I am to preach it. We welcome you, Lord. Would you just say this with me? In about 45 minutes, say it. Come on, everybody, say it. In about 45 minutes, I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to be stronger, have more faith. I'm going to be a world changer. In Jesus' name. Come on, and for his glory. You believe that? Come on, say amen. In the name of Jesus, confess it. Decide that's how it's going to be. So we're in week number two of a series called Setting the Table. It has to do with worship. Last week we looked at John chapter 4. Great story where the bible said Jesus had to go through samaria. He didn't, but he did. He didn't have to, but he did have to. He was on assignment. And there at the woman at, at the well in sicar, he met the woman who her life wasn't falling apart, it had fallen apart. She was broken. Five marriages, now living with a man. And Jesus met her right where she was. And then he, he took her to the pressure point, the payoff point that counselors have. When they, they weren't beating around the bush, they got to what really mattered. And in her brokenness, Jesus then pointed her to the way out. And it is, if you could learn to be a worshiper, if you could worship God in spirit and in truth, he can take your life where it is. And he could take you where he wants you to go. And um, then Jesus made this statement My Father, in fact, my Father is seeking worshipers who will worship like that. Real worship in spirit and in truth. And so we come today as a vertical church. And as I said last week, if we build it, he will come if we build a lifestyle of worship, he will come and bless our lives. A little over five years ago, we started teaching and preaching, I did, about vertical church, these concepts. And we knew, according to God's word, if we build a church, a worshiping church, in spirit and in truth, he will come and bless this place. And he has. And so this morning, we come to Week number two, and I want to talk to you about who you are and what your job is. And if you understand who you are, what your purpose is, you can change the world. Not just your world, but the world. And so the title this morning is just that, discovering who you really are and what your purpose is can change the world. Again, not just your world, the world. And so as we talk about understanding who we are, a lot of people can't fulfill their purpose Because they don't really know who they are. You have to know who you are, like, really know, be comfortable, have some self awareness, understand who you are, and who determines who I am. God does, what His Word says. When I come to understand who I am, then I'm qualified to do what I'm supposed to do, my purpose. And this is the problem of the whole world right now, this is our whole culture. You could boil it down to that. People don't know who they are. People don't know what they're supposed to do. So they're doing something, but they have a weak identity, and every time they run into some some static or some challenges, they fall to pieces. When you know who you are, then you're more equipped to know, not only know what your purpose is, but be able to fulfill it. And people who know who they are and fulfilling their purpose, their God-given purpose, they're changing the world Again, not just their world, the world. Churches who know the, who they are, churches who know what their purpose is. They're changing the whole world. I mean, I'm thankful we're in one of those kind of churches. Amen. So this morning, I want you to track with me. I'm going to impart something. This isn't inspiration. This is, this is fathering. This is your pastor teaching you some principles that I promise you will change your world, and the world. And I want to talk to you, beginning with King David. We're going to look in a second at a verse. David, who wrote most of the Psalms, greatest king in Israel, still to this day regarded by them, especially the Jews. We know Jesus is the greatest king, but he came out of this. He was the son of David. But so David, whose family was in just dysfunction, he had been the king, now Absalom, his son, had pulled off a a coup, and had a bounty on David, his father. And David is out running for his life. This is a desperate situation. And David, what he says, he reveals to us a principle for worship that is life-changing. So he's out running for his life. And he says this in the first part of verse 2, Psalm 141. Lord, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. you got to see this. So incense, we just saying um, day and night, let incense arise. It's, it, it's really let worship arise. And that creates an aroma. And David right here in this prayer, let me, let me tell you, he's, going through the furniture in the tabernacle or the temple, the place where the people of God worshipped, You know, David loved the presence of the Lord. And David understood the presence of the Lord, the sweetness of being in God's presence. And so he says, God, I know where you are. You're in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. That's where you literally are. Your presence is manifested. I'm not there. I wish I could be. And this is his, I miss you, Lord. I miss my time. This is his band on the run song. And he says, would you let my prayer be like an incense before you? And what he's saying is, what the priests do in the tabernacle, that smell right outside the Holy of Holies, you know, the Holy of Holies, the green room for God where God is and there's a curtain or a veil. And right outside that is the table of incense. And, and it, it cre- there was an aroma of worship, prayers. And David is saying, God, you're so close, you can smell that. And he's like, I'm not there, but where I am, would you, would you let my prayer out here be just like that? So what they're doing there, if I do it here, will you come here? Like you came there. And it's just beautiful. And then he continues and he says, um, and if I, if I lift my hands right here, would, it, would you let that count like the evening sacrifice? This is just marvelous. He's going, every day in the afternoon, they, they kill an animal and they sacrifice him. And that's what the priest does there, but I can't be there. Would you let my sacrifice out here count? Just like that? And David is turning us on to an understanding of the presence of God, like the, the literal presence of God. This is what he's saying. Now, mind you, David, at this time, the Jewish Hebrew people in the Old Testament, they didn't have the Old Testament. all they had was the Torah the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And David goes, I know in, those, in the Torah, you like hands, God. You like hands offered to you in worship. And whether you're a CPA or a guitar player, you like hands. And the word, the Hebrew word for hand is yad. And the the word Yada means to wave your hands. And there's a difference. It's like God wants our hands, but not just going through the ritual. He wants, He wants them, He wants us engaged. And, and one of the words for praise is Yada. We wave our hands. And David knows this because he, he knew the Torah. But what David is saying here, he does, he's not quoting scripture. He's He's not, he doesn't realize he's writing the Bible. He's he's pouring out his heart as a a worship sacrifice. And it's so good, God goes, I need to put that in the Bible. Do you understand this? He doesn't realize, I need to figure this. I need this, because this is going to be in the Bible. He doesn't know it. He's just, he's living his life and God goes, that needs to go in the Bible and he he pours his heart out now move forward hundreds of years and we get into the New Testament after Jesus has come now in the New Testament the Jewish people had the Old Testament and they were experts in it they knew it from Genesis to Malachi 39 books and the writer of Hebrews copies this verse that we just read, and he pastes it in the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Now, before we read it, you have to understand this. So the Hebrew people in the New Testament are the Jewish people, same people. And some of them have become Christians, but many of them had not. And the ones who had become Christians were now enduring severe persecution For becoming Christians. And the other Jews are saying to the Messianic Jewish people. Christianity is lame man. You don't even have a temple. You don't even have a tabernacle. Moses is better than Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is. Hebrews isn't a town. Like Galatia or Ephesians. He's writing to all the Jewish Christians all around the Mediterranean. Who are now considering leaving the Christian faith because they're going through persecution. And then the writer of Hebrews goes, Oh man, now Christianity isn't lame. And this is the theme of every chapter in the book of Hebrews better. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Moses because Moses, like, covered our sin. Jesus took away our sin. How many of you know that's better? Come on, how many of you know that's more better? And then he, Jesus is better than Moses because Moses died, Jesus hasn't. And the whole theme of that is Jesus is better. He is the ultimate high priest who took care of all of it. And then in chapter 13 verse 15, he drops this verse in and he goes, "Let me tell you, the Old Testament, those 39 books, they were prophesying and speaking about Jesus coming. And so the writer tries to connect these two. And he says in verse 15, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice, praise. Sacrifice, worship. Those are terms, those two words often go together. And that is the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. He copies From Psalm 141, verse 2, and dropped it, pasted it in the New Testament hundreds of years later. Why? Because David had established a precedent for worship that is outside of the temple. That you don't just go to church to worship. Wherever you are, if you worship, God comes there. And the very next verse says this. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such... Say this word with me, sacrifices, say it. Sacrifice, come on, everybody say it. I know you hate this word. Now smile and say it, sacrifices. Such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Sacrifice, the word sacrifice doesn't seem to fit very well into the Christian vocabulary these days, mainly because we have a fundamental lack of clarity on what grace means. Hear me, grace doesn't mean you don't have to do anything. Grace isn't opposed to works. Grace is opposed to merit. Ephesians 2 says that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. But James 2:17 says, "Faith without works is dead." So we know sacrifice is not a legalistic word. And we don't sacrifice to be forgiven. We gladly sacrifice because we have been forgiven and we want our lives to tell others they can be forgiven. And often, in living your life in such a way to be an epistle, living epistle where others can see the beauty of God's word and his plan for our life, that calls for sacrifice. And it's, this is why Paul in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy and in parentheses, when i consider god's in light of everything that god has done through the cross then we ought to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice now we, we we're seeing some terms and we're seeing a principle that all of the new testament confirms it's true what's true that you're not just a christian you're not just a believer you are a priest. I'm a priest. And that shouldn't be scary. So when I said early on, we need to discover who are we and what is our purpose so we can do it and change the world. The first thing that we have to discover, you don't just get to come here and be a Christian. Consumer believer a person of faith you're a priest so let me ask you and you answer I've already given you the answer who are you what are you what are you I'm, I'm looking for a whole lot more than that what are you do you know who you are some of you are sitting here going you're going to have to convince I'm not sure about that that's why I'm preaching this message because when we finish I want you to be sure about it. Now, you can choose. Now, I'm not going to do that. That's up to you. But I want you to know you are called. Your faith is designed for you to be a priest. 1 Peter 2, verse 5 says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Wait, just catch that. A spiritual house for who to live there? God. You, you're a living stone coming together with other living stones to be a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a spe- offering spiritual, and there's that word again sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're a priest. This is one of Martin Luther's 95 problems with the Catholic Church. You're reading in Latin, it's the, the priest, the father show. We don't understand what you're saying and you've gotten all corrupt and there's no life in the church and and Martin Luther said, I don't need a priest, I am a priest and we all today, I know this might be like swimming upstream, this is a tough sell today, but it's the Bible and the Holy Spirit's going to confirm it in your heart. You don't need a priest, you are a priest. God doesn't want somebody to come to him on your behalf. He wants you to come. Come on, everybody shout it out. I am a priest. priest. Now, the responsibility of a Protestant church is that every believer functions as a priest. They all give, all worship, all share, all serve. And they all contribute to the vitality of the church. Every joint supplies. New Testament Protestant churches... Historically, biblical churches like this one are designed for participatory experiences. When you become a true born-again believer, you cannot sustain consumerism. You'll die. And neither can biblical Christians who become consumers rather than priests. So here's the deal. Christians either become priests or consumers. Priests get engaged. They're not spectators. They come off the sidelines. They get in the game. Priests get engaged in worshiping God and serving people. Spectators, on the other hand, become consumers. Worship priests who worship, worshiping servants, they, change, well, they don't change the world. God does. God changes the world through their worship. But consumers, on the other hand, They become critics. They're Yelp Review, Google Review experts. They can tell you at this church, the sermons, this, the worship, the convenience. But we can't become consumers. I, I could spend 20 minutes convincing us many of us are consumers way beyond what we even realize. In, in uh, the book Killer Church, Nathan Finocchio, a Canadian, he builds a case that, listen to me, consumer Christianity has given birth to progressive Christianity. And progressive Christianity has given birth to deconstructionism. What is that? That is, consumer Christianity is lifeless. It's not the way God designed, it's not who we're called to be. And so consumer Christianity, our faith atrophies, there's no life. And children who grow up in homes where they're consumer parents, they go, there's nothing to it. There's no life there. It's a waste of time on Sunday mornings. And so they become progressive Christians. And I don't know if you know that term, but it's eight core beliefs that basically are not a progressive Christian It's not a Christian. And when we begin to deconstruct our faith, why is the younger generation doing it? Because they're not seeing any life. They're not seeing the church be the world-changing agent that it's called to be. So what do priests do? They minister to the Lord. They minister to people, sacrificially, both of those things. And they see the world change, their world and the world. When we come together, one of my mentors Pastor Jack Hayford years ago taught me, every church service, it's us ministering to the Lord, ministering to each other, and ministering to the world. It's easy. We know how we worship and minister to the Lord, right? We know how we encourage and pray for each other. Well, how do we minister to the world? By doing just that. And when we leave, we go, we're sending out 1,500 priests into North Atlanta. And we become a container for God's glory. He comes and changes our community. I would say to you, we need to completely reevaluate our posture as it pertains to church gatherings. Not really here, because I know, and I, I brag on you. I pulled in this morning, just, like, just minutes after 6 a.m. And there were cars here, people already preparing to serve. And the 8.30 service. People and there'll be people serving for most of the day and there's a mixer tonight. And and this is a worshiping church. This is a church that by and large we understand we are all priests. So why am I preaching? Because it's part of the worship series and it fits here this Sunday. Thank you very much. But more than that, there are many people who you came in and you're experiencing the benefits of a vertical church. And I want you to get educated. And I want us to hold this as a core value that we are priests and we worship sacrificially. And God comes and he changes the world through our worship. Now, um, how many of you are halfway with me? You get where I am so far. You're a priest. How many of you know who you are? How many of you know who's sitting beside you and what they are? All right, turn and tell them real quick. Tell them who they are. Now, the second part of this this morning is David, there's another amazing verse of scripture that he sings in a song, Psalm 57. He says, My heart is steadfast. God, I'm all in. You don't just get my yod, you get my yada. I'm all in. My heart is steadfast. Oh, God, he says, he says it twice. My heart is steadfast. Therefore, I will sing. Now, you don't just get my hands. You get my voice. And I'm going to make a melody. Then he makes these next three words are crazy. He goes, awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. David says, awake my glory. My glory? God, I thought you were the one who had the glory. The big idea here is that humans have a glory too. Now, all glory that humans have is on loan from God. And it's the best part of us. It's the unique wiring and what we do best. That thing that if you're pretty, let me just tell you something, it ain't because you got the right color of blush. If you're a stud and you're all that and you have some unique ability, God gave it to you, and it's on loan from Him, and you are to use it to give Him glory. And when you take your glory and give it to Him, that's why the Bible says over and over give unto the Lord, give unto the Lord the glory, do His name. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory. Wait, your glory, we have glory too? Yes. And this is where, I know this might be revolutionary for some of us, but we need this teaching. Please listen closely. The Hebrew word here for glory, we translate in English, it's kabod. And it literally means weight. The idea behind weight in this instance is what, what you're good at, kabod. The full experience of who I am, what I'm best at. My purpose, if I give that to you, God, I'm giving you my glory. To explain it a little further, if I'm at a party and somebody walks in I don't know them and I ask the host, hey, who is that? And they go, that's Candace Ramsey, Pastor Chuck's wife, seven kids, got her MBA. Like, who is that? That's that's Don Munn. He pastored Restoration Church for 34 years. He plays pickleball, mean racquetball player great teacher of the word oh that's who that is and you know them when you walk in the room what what's your glory why do i ask that because you need to know what it is so that you can give it back to god kabod isn't just listen wait what you're good at it's it's your presentness your ability to be present to be dialed in to give attention to something. You know, when I learned, as I shared last week, when, we, when the Ramses travel and we pull off to use the bathroom and Chucky pulls into the restaurant, not the gas station, I'm giving, I'm present, dialed in. When I talk with Candace and I'm, and I'm, I'm not dialed in, but I am listening. How I many of you know this is not listening? Yeah, honey. And she says, You're not listening to me. I'm like, No, I am. And then she stops. And the Holy Spirit of Candace and the wrath of Candace comes in the room. And I put it down and I go, That's, I, I don't say this in a derogatory way, but somebody needs to hear me. God is like a woman, He's not insecure or jealous. But he is possessive. He he wants our, I'm not saying women are possessive. I'm not saying they're jealous or insecure. I'm not, I promise. If I I said that, forgive me. But thank you for your presentness and your dialed (laughs) inness. He's not like a jilted girlfriend. He's like, after all I've done for you, Would you put your phone down? I want your glory. I gave it to you. If you'll give it back to me, you'll get the full weight of who I am in your life. Oh, God. Do you know in relationships, this is a, I I don't mean to insult people, but we forget obvious things. Relational laws, dynamics, intimacy begets intimacy me growing as a husband we grew in intimacy and i don't mean that in a cheap way and intimacy is so much more than just sex we're still growing in it and intimacy begets intimacy and so it does with us in the lord this is why first corinth first chronicles 16 9 the bible god says the eyes of the Lord, they run to and fro. Doesn't that sound desperate? Doesn't that sound like a God who's going, I'm seeking, I'm seeking worshipers. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Why? To get his kabod, his full weight of who he is. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal or steadfast to him. Or fully consecrated. And not only does intimacy beget intimacy, glory begets glory, as I've just explained. When you give God glory, your glory, you'll get His. Simply put, everybody listen up. If you want God's glory, you need to give Him your glory. And let me tell you something you want His glory. You were created to experience his glory, the full experience of who he is. And your heart will be restless until you experience his glory. God, he shows up in significant and impactful ways in places where he is honored and desired. I wish somebody would say amen. Just nudge your neighbor. He's talking to you. He shows up, listen, in significant and impactful ways in places where he is honored and desired. This is why James 4.8 says this same stuff. God is seeking. There's some relational laws here. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. And what I'm learning is as I lean into him, he leans into me. As I bring my glory, he brings his glory. And here's the principle I want you to get now. As you know, you're a priest. What's your job? To bring sacrificial worship. That's what priests do. And the principle of the acceptable sacrifice throughout the Old Testament is this. Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. Are y'all out there? Let me illustrate it. Um. I told you last week, when we came back to serve in this role here at this church, there were some contaminating factors in the worship ministry. And the Lord, we weren't like on a witch hunt, but it became obvious. There were some egregious, immoral things being done, and we were not bringing an acceptable sacrifice, and God wasn't coming and blessing it. And so we had a sacrificial choice to make. God, we don't know what this, how this is going to turn out. But we know we can't keep bringing that kind of offering to you. And so we made some adjustments, and immediately, things begin to turn around, and we begin to see some amazing things happen. Like, for instance, um, one day a guy that lives right through those trees is on a jog coming down the road, and he comes under conviction. And he's mid-30s, works for Apple, and he's coming down the road, and he starts weeping. And he hears a voice say this, if you can make it to the church, you'll be okay. You know the story. He came into the parking lot, knelt down, and began to weep. Got in the fetal position, came into the church, said, are you the pastor? I said, it depends. You know, the way he looked. And he said this, he said, There are two things he said. It's There are too many coincidences happening in my life right now. How many of you know God works in coincidences? And then he said this. It's like God won't let me not know him. I know it's not great English, but you know what he's trying to say. You say, Pastor Chuck, you mean so when y'all, you're saying, when y'all started here at Restoration offering up, A pure, acceptable offering to the Lord. God started saving people. Are you saying that if y'all didn't do that, he wouldn't have come? Well, here's what the Bible teaches. If the church would do their job, God would send his glory. What if churches were offering acceptable sacrifices? What if churches in America were vertical? Don't you think there would be a lot more people in church and there wouldn't be a progressive Christianity and a deconstruction Christianity? We need to get this into our spirit. The principle in the Bible is every acceptable sacrifice gets a divine response. Now this gets me pumped about coming to church. We should be pumped. It's the most important thing we do all week besides our personal devotional time. The giving of tithes, the volunteering of time for the kingdom. We should be pumped because we know what He wants specifically. And when we give what He wants specifically, we experience Him fully. This is bigger and more important than the Super Bowl, the World Series. This is more important to our culture than the SEC Championship. This is a big deal if it's done right, and gets a divine response. The church is supposed to be a place of glory because the priests are ministering glory to the glorious one who manifests his presence by the Holy Spirit. Some of us go to Disney and we get our children get giddy. And I don't have time, but parents get giddy too. Some of us go to other places. Nathan Fanacchio said his mother, being a pastor's wife from Canada, when they were at Buckingham Palace she began to weep and he thought mom what is what's going on here and some of us have watched the royal family with all due respect in today's world I don't even know how the royal family survives the whole concept I don't mean to upset you and don't get mad at me if you send emails it's arvil at (laughs) restorationchurch.faith but seriously all this fanfare God bless them, but where's the royal family? Right here's the royal. This, you and I, we are members of the, the Bible calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people who belong to God, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Can you imagine if we keep being vertical? And God keeps sending the weight of who he is. How many of you know that's the plan? That's what's going to happen in Jesus' name and for his glory. So I'll close with this right here. In James chapter 4, I just said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Everybody look right here again. Earlier in this chapter, James says he's jealous. Not Again, he's not insecure, possessive. He's not a jilted boyfriend or girlfriend. But he's, he wants us. He purchased us. Understand, it's a good thing he's a jealous God. He's not ambivalent to us. James says he's jealous. So, oh, because of that, let's draw near to him. He wants to draw near to us. And the next part he says some of you all thought this was the gospel according to Fauci cleanse your hands, you sinners. But it's not. James is going, hey, you're not drawing near to him because you're doing some stuff with your hands that consecrated priests don't do. Cleanse your hands, offer them up, give yada, and draw near to him, and let him draw near to you. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Now, when these things start happening, his presence comes here. Real life begins to happen. God is speaking to some people here today at a profound level. And don't let the enemy distract you. There, some of you have some moments right now to say yes to becoming a priest and moving out of... This is a, a, a red-letter day for somebody. You've been a consumer, spiritually speaking, your whole faith life. And God's calling you to arise, to step up, Come off the sideline. Get in the game. That special ability that you have, it's special. God gave it to you. Give it back to him. And watch him literally blow your mind and change not only your world. The whole world is counting on us, each bringing our glory to him. Come on, would you just acknowledge what God is doing in this room right now? We just love you, Lord. We praise you. This text came in at 3:30 last week on Sunday afternoon. Uh, are the Wagner's here? Is Jay Wagner here, or Walker? They may be coming to the next service. They weren't in the first one, I don't think either, but I didn't ask. So Jay's gifted athlete, ball player at Auburn, set all kinds of records. His son Walker's in eighth grade, and God's doing special work in their family. Walker's the middle. He's got an older sister and a younger sister. And so Jay sends this text. He says, Walker said to me after church today that it makes him emotional to think that he only has five more years left in this church before he goes to college. He says, do eighth graders ever say that? Thank you, praise God, so grateful. Why do you think that's happening? Because little Walker's... Part of a church, it's got priests bringing acceptable sacrifices. And at eight years old, in today's world, a gifted, good-looking kid getting emotional like the countdown's on, only got five more years. What is that? The Chuck Ramsey show? No. The gifted musicians? No. No. It's the glory of God. It's a kid going, this is real. God is real. The Bible is true. The Holy Spirit is real. And I want all of it I can get in my childhood. God, give us a generation just like that. It says in my formative years, Lord, Shape me and form me. We were praying yesterday our Saturday morning prayer time and I was sitting right here thinking about this sermon and we were praying and I saw a vision at the end of the sermon where I I made you aware and called you to accept your priestly role. We were praying, my eyes were closed and the word arise came to me and I, I saw in all three services, people, you going, will the priest arise? And the whole congregation going, and Jesus coming and going. Stand up, thanks. Just like I showed, and Jesus coming and going. You're a priest. And I'm going to ask everybody here today. You make it you pastor, I don't fully understand. It's okay. Will you just accept? God's called you to be a priest, not a consumer. You don't just get set on the sidelines. If you do, your faith will die, and your kids, they're not going to inherit it, inherit a real faith. And some of you, next week, I'm, I'm preaching, bring, invite somebody. Candace and I haven't done everything right, but we are, we were we have been more committed to our family than we have to church and ministry. And it's paid off. And we went through some tough stuff. I'm gonna to talk to you about how to get the glory on your house. And you need a priest there leading. God wants the glory on your house. You go, Pastor, my kids are grown. That's all right, they'll be back for Thanksgiving. Get the glory there, serious, they'll be back for Christmas, they'll see it on you. If you're here today and you're going, I'm in, I'm going to be a priest, I'm going to bring the best of what God's given me. I'm going to serve, I'm going to give financially, I'm going to serve, pray, I'm going to worship like my life depends on it in spirit and truth because God is seeking me. If that's you and you go, I'll be a priest, and I count to three. I want you, this is a prophetic moment. I just sense it. As you stand up, you lift your hands. Not just Yah, yad, but yada. Jerry Seinfeld thought he was just yada 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 yada. He didn't even know it. He was saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? On the count of three, I'm calling you to a don't, if you're, if you're going, no, I like being a consumer, don't stand up. If you're here going, I feel the Holy Spirit. This isn't you convincing me. I'm not buying what you're selling, Pastor Chuck. I hear the voice of the Lord. On the count of three, I want you to rise into your priestly role. One, two, three. Come on, just lift your hands. Hallelujah. Now put your heart behind those hands and just wave them unto the Lord as you feel comfortable. Lord, as we give you our glory, we hunger for your glory because we know you are searching Your eyes are searching the whole earth to and fro. Can I find church, a church that will let me send my glory? Now just tell the Lord, I am your priest. I am your servant. Use me for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, amen. Now turn and tell somebody you're looking at a new person in the name of Jesus. Just tell somebody, to the best of my ability, I'm going to serve. I'm going to worship in the mighty name of Jesus. Some of you need prayer or you need to confess, I'm stepping up. You may want prayer. I'm asking elders and staff members to be down here with me between services. And as you leave today, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May make his face shine upon you. I'm not crying because I don't feel good. I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God is saying, this is from number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. His, God's wanting you to be Moses and reflect glory. Second Corinthians 3. He wants to touch your countenance so greatly. Others see him when they look at you. They don't see you. Now, come on, to receive this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Come on, say, I receive it. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's thank God for his word. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Father. As you leave today, please consider stopping by and buying five or six verses and help us um, get the book of Romans translated. I love you. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon, everybody.